On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, we'll be looking at the journey of a Canadian Wheatfield Prairie girl who unraveled her childhood traumas, not only to heal, but to reshape her life to fit her, and now assists others in order to do the same. The magic really came from being like a detective and decoding language to get to the hidden loyalties. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. All right, from the wheat fields of Canada, Kali Christie, it's so nice to see you. Oh, it's great to be here with you, Doug. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, well, <laughs> it I, is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's an honor to have you here. Oh, thank so, you. For the benefit of the folks who don't know you, could you give mm. us a brief, like, 15-minute uh, introduction? <laughs> brief 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> 15 minutes. Well, as no, you No, no, I just was kidding. <laughs> So what does this mean? You unraveled your childhood traumas, not only to heal, but to reshape your life. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I really didn't know I was doing it. That's the interesting part of it. Um, I began in Canada, as I am now, and on, you know, the prairies where I am returned to 10 years ago. And um, when I was born and raised here. Um, I moved away after uh, I graduated from high school. But I was born um, into a, an interesting scenario, as everyone is. But um, I was born to a woman who um, was in a relationship with my father, of course. And um, it wasn't a good one. Uh, there was a lot of uh, polarities with regards to religion, and also to um, family, not wanting her really to be the woman in his life. So when I came along, there was um, such that she was convinced she couldn't take care of me and um, gave me to be raised by an aunt and uncle, which was my father's uh, sister and her husband. And so at six, um, I was returned to my biological family and it was completely different. It's, it's totally opposite of the Cinderella story. Um, I went from thinking that my aunt and uncle were my parents and my mom and dad were my aunt and uncle. And it was going from living in a very stable, very fun, loving environment and safe and clean and uh, running water, etc. But when I returned to my home, uh, with my biological family, it was completely different. There was no running water. There was um, the love was hidden, um, and there was a lot of uh, trauma. Mm. So, um, my dad being an alcoholic, um, and my mother having gone in and out of uh, institutions um, over the conditioning of being in that marriage. Um, it was very traumatic, actually, the experience. Plus, I was into a situation where I now 
was with siblings that didn't know me. Hmm. So I was excluded. And that became very apparent after my mom died. My mom died when I was 14. And so I moved to live on my own at 15 because my father being an alcoholic, um, I decided I would not tolerate the, uh, the abuse. So I moved out on my own and I was a figure skater um, and I kept up my skating and I also attempted to keep up my schoolwork as best as possible. And wow. I worked, I, I worked a lot. I worked three jobs on weekends and I worked after schools and I, I paid my way. Wow. So I know what it's like to pay your way. And um, I began, after high school, I, I decided I had a contract with the Ice Capades. Really? And I also had a, a contract with Air Canada. So I thought, well, I love to travel, but I don't want to travel on a bus 52 weeks a year or 50. And so I became a flight attendant. And that provided me with the uh, luxury of traveling, as well as coming to a nice hotel at night or back to my home where, you know, I was very comfortable. And so how old were you at this point? 18. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Grew up fast. Oh, I grew up very fast. I grew up at six. <laughs> I grew up at six when I returned to my biological parents and, you know, was immersed in, in what was going on. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, the, the traveling was exciting, but then it became boring. And so I decided to, you know, go to university. I wanted to take a leave of absence, but at the time, the airline industry wasn't permitting it. So I quit and went to UBC in British Columbia to study psychology. And then uh, I needed a summer job. So uh, I called Air Canada and they said, well, we're not going to bring you back unless you move to Halifax. And I said, well, I'm not moving. From Vancouver to Halifax. <laughs> so so um, another airline was just starting up and hired. And that was great for a while. It, it paid the way type of thing, as well as I got to then really start to explore other things. And that's when I became very interested in um, TV and production. And I went into that industry as well, as well as flying. And then I moved from Vancouver to Toronto, where I met um, my now ex-husband. Um, he was at that time Canada's male top model, and I was not Canada's top model at the time. Male model, yeah, yeah. And right. um, so I was doing TV and and a lot of commercial work and print for hair and whatever. And um, we 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 got married very quickly. It was like a three month, you know. It was the the limerence, right? It was hot and heavy for you know. Wow, let's just dive right into marriage. Mm. So um, that lasted for a while, 17 years, actually. But in the meantime, um, I had a beautiful child, uh, my daughter, Susan, and uh, I was continuing to fly. And I was also involved in TV. And um, I was hired on as a story editor for CTV uh, National News. And uh, I was doing a lot. And I became very sick. I actually um, got chronic fatigue and I was given six months to live because I was down to, I think at that time, at one time pulling an oxygen tank, I was like 85 pounds. No, my so the doctors in Toronto worked with me greatly. And uh, there was a wonderful doctor 
called Dr. Crop, who was actually, um, he's been ousted out of his medical profession because he did alternative things as well. But he told me quite honestly, he said, you know, you need to get away from the city. You need to get away from the pollution. You need to get away from the stresses and you need to just simplify. So I moved to Florida. I moved to um, Minnesota Key between Sarasota and Fort Myers. And I took my daughter with me. And um, one day she came home. She was in a private school. She came home and she had a book called How to Heal Your Life Mm. by Louise Hay. And it was very interesting that she would bring it. So um, I started to read it and I started to do and apply everything that was in the book. And I got well. It took me six months and I overcame the fatigue. I, I bounced back. It was amazing. And um, I returned to Toronto to my relationship with my husband permanently and I got sick again. Mm. So I was so intrigued with the mind-body at that point that I started to do research into neurolinguistic programming. Mm. And I got to um, do a practitioner training And then I fell into my blessings are just amazing with my mentors, including you and and teachers. And um, I came across Christina Hall, um, Robert Diltz, Eric Robbie, Mm -hmm. and of course, Robert, yeah, Robert Klaus. So they sort of came and went. And then I started to bring them into Toronto to do trainings. And I promoted their trainings in Toronto as well as in Montreal. So I got to really learn from incredible masters. It was like, wow. Also at this time, because I was learning and growing and surpassing um, what I could even fathom to be the mind-body's work. it was time to um, move again. And so my ex wanted to move to Vancouver. It's the geographical cure and it's going to be better and it's going to be greater and yada, yada, yada. Well, it, it wasn't. <laughs> so in a, in a short nutshell, um, after six months of him being there, my daughter and I did move there and um, it, it wasn't better. It, it got really nasty. And, um, my daughter was again in a, in a really good school and I started to teach at the school. Actually, they were very open to me teaching NLP to youth, yeah. which was wonderful. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was great. And so um, my continuance of and love for the mind body continued. And um, I started to study with a master in kinesiology, specialized kinesiology. And so I learned touch for health and, kinesiology specialized and um, site K and um, I put everything together and created a very special program and started to work with a lot of elite athletes and a lot of elite entertainers and, and, and just, you know, people who were wanting to do things that they wanted to up level. And that was great. And at that time too, I, I was given the opportunity to, to go down to um, Santa Cruz to the NLP University and study with um, Todd and um, Robert, which I did. And I'll never forget Todd. He, you know, I, he, he's the one who got me to be able to get up and speak. 
I remember it was time to do a presentation and it brings tears to my eyes because it was just before he passed away. And I didn't want to do it. Mm. I went to the water cooler and I was, you know, avoiding going in <laughs> my turn. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting some water. And he said, no, you're not. He said, you're avoiding doing your presentation. <laughs> and I said, well, sort of. And uh, he said, you know what? Get in there and speak with your heart. You've got it. Nice. And uh, I went in and, yeah, you know, I'll, I still have his little note from me about how moved he was. And, um, yeah, so he really gifted me with wanting to pursue even to get out and do more seminars and workshops and things like that. So That's I went Could I just interrupt you for a quick yeah, second? Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Just so people know who we're talking about here. Um, mm -hmm. Robert Diltz's partner at the time was a man named Todd Epstein. Um, and I actually was very fortunate as well to have studied with both Todd and Robert for my master practitioner. That's where I learned sleight of mouth is from those two guys. Um, I don't know if they created it together, but I'm sure they helped. I mean, I'm sure Todd, they, they wrote the book together. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, a lot of the examples are both Todd and, and Robert's. So he is really instrumental in that. And there was a huge influence on, on my trainings as well. So yeah, he's a lovely, lovely person, and it was he went far, far too early. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was it really was a gift to be in their presence and to learn from both of them. Yeah. Um, I just yeah, I had such a great time. <laughs> it was great. It was really good. It was really good. And and so then I went back to Vancouver, and um, then I went back to uh, California again, only this time to work with Chris Hall. Chris Hall, Christina Hall. I did a lot of work with her, um, and that's where I fell in love with decoding the structure of language. Yeah, she's brilliant. Brilliant when it comes to language. I mean, absolutely, oh, nobody better. Nobody, nobody. I, I, I was so gifted with being able to be with her, but then I also was blessed that she had me do all the videos and do all the transcribing at that time. So you, I was there. I was there for about eight weeks. You did all the videos. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my handiwork. <laughs> really? wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But so that's where I fell in love with decoding uh, the structure of language. And, and um, till this day, it is my absolute. But I've taken it a bit further. And, and it's one thing to decode the words and the written. But now I decode. The language of the soul. Okay, and again, let me stop you there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's good. Right. I need I need to be stopped. <laughs> okay. So, um, in the intro, I, I I said that the magic really came from being like a detective and right. decoding the language to get to the hidden loyalties. Um, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, it's the process of. You know, people, we can be so superficial and there is so much that is in the words we speak, how we put them together through our thoughts, which, you know, become things, which becomes our reality, the cause and effect, right? And yet the detective work of decoding what people are saying is profound because the shifts that can happen just from one sentence that a client may speak is phenomenal and to be able to do that to understand where it's coming from and 
where it may have started and who's involved in that sentence that comes out or even their story, right? It's the stories that we tell and, and to shift the stories. It's not so easy as people think. Could you give us an example of that? Um, well, more so now that I, I'm working with um, NLP and family constellations work, the systemic trauma, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's getting to the hidden loyalties because we all have them, but we don't always know that we're being loyal. Hmm. So whom are we being loyal to? Um, I can give an example. Um, okay. I worked with a client who uh, was taken. He, he was at the time he was seven and he's older now. So I've worked with him since. Um, and at the time he was around that age, he um, was taken rushed to the hospital. He was put on uh, steroids and not a ventilator, of course. This is years ago. But um, he was put on oxygen and he was in intensive care. And down the road, working with him and decoding what was behind that event through his languaging, through the story, and through being able to tap into the language of his soul um, and get to the systemic trauma, there was the hidden loyalties that were playing, being played out there were his mother at the time was pregnant. He uh, was very concerned unconsciously for her because of the fact she was in a depression. And so he was very concerned and didn't even know it, but he was being so loyal to her. And this happens that he had made a decision that he would actually die instead of her because he, to him, her depression was going to take her out. So it happens and it's, it's mind blowing when it unfolds, but children do it when parents are divorcing, when parents are sick. Uh, and not just that, that's, that's just one example. So in, in decoding it, it was fascinating to find out that he also had a previous accident, which replicated by him doing something that ended up having him in that same hospital, even though at the time he hadn't lived near that hospital. He was actually in another province. Hmm. So what was then traced and found out was that his mother's, yeah, his mother's mother had actually died in that hospital hmm. and his mother's mother, his mother's, let's see, his mother's mother, her mother died in that hospital. So her mother's her mother was born in that hospital. So there was such tremendous loyalty to the family and it was hidden. Hmm. And so, so you were able to discuss this and ask him questions and, and uncode all this, decode all this? Yeah, no. yeah. Through, how, long, through, how long did it take you? Uh, that all happened in one hour. Wow. Mm -hmm. So is this a specific way of questioning? Are these like specific questions or just kind of like listening through like the meta model or something? How do you, how do you get to it, the it's language? A, it's, of the yeah, it's a combination um, of, of, you know, the meta as well as 
to really, really observe, of course, through uh, as well in NLP, the physiology, right? I mean, when I trained with, <laughs> I couldn't believe it, but I could after, you know, Eric Robbie was his, his specialty is sensory acuity, mm-hmm. right? The, the smells and the sounds and just everything, but also too, to being able to even see in a, in a person's neck, the veins changing or in the face, the colors and, you know, the veins in the hands, just all this stuff. So it's quite profound. And, and so, yes, it's, it's all of that. And then of course, to my, my training with, um, in, in systemic trauma in family constellations and really, really getting to understand how these hidden loyalties play out. They really do. And it's, it's actually mind blowing. <laughs> so, you know, it seems, it seems to me that it really is a, is a, not a, not a higher wire act exactly, but it's, it's a very sensitive thing. Cause you've got to, to, to do what you've described, it would appear that you've got to do an awful lot of probing and asking probing kind of questions, but also you know, checking the physiology to see if there's any incongruities. And then if they're like, maybe I'm not saying they're lying, but maybe they're just not, because of their hidden loyalties, they're answering in a way that isn't quite congruent. Mm-hmm. And you've got to say, well, let me ask you more about that. I don't know about that, young man. Um, you got to sort of call them on that and, and ask. A, so it seems to me to, to maintain rapport and to have that kind of ability to, you know, have the trust to mm-hmm. get that deep inside, to get uncover stuff that deep is really quite an art. It is. It's the thing I've come to learn over all the years through all my trainings um, is to be loyal to the client and not loyal to the method. Hmm. Okay. The client is first for me. So when it comes to loyalties, your, your loyalty is to the client. Right. Because if I'm being loyal to the method, then my ego is going to get in there. Okay. Or it can't. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Not not always, but 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 the thing is, it's it's the the, the loyalty is to be aware, it, like you say, with regards to the subtleties that are happening, the pupils, you know, the facial, the, just everything. And the big thing is, to, you know, trust. It can't do it if the client doesn't trust you, right, and right. the whole way I unwove my life was to go through all I went through and through all the trainings and to decode things. And, and is the process complete? No, it's far, far from it. It's a journey and I, I don't intend on stopping, but. And I just want, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. hold that thought, but going back to this boy then. So once you were able to decode this for him and find out his loyalties to his mother's mother and. Yeah. The family. Mm-hmm. Were you able to then, you know, change that in some way so that he oh, for sure. happily ever after sort of thing? Happily ever after. He's doing phenomenal. Oh, he good. really is. That's my granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> She's having a great time with me. <laughs> um, yeah. He, no, he's doing great. His whole, um, everything changed. Nice. He, he was sabotaging. You see, the whole thing is he was sabotaging himself right. in, in any way, shape or form. Yeah. To, to have this play out so that he would probably have ended exiting the planet by now. Right, right. And so now, no, he's he's doing great. Cool. And and it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful to hear, to see, to know. Um, and I the beauty of it is I know it's not me that did it. 
it's, as you know, when we work, we work within and with such an amazing field mm -hmm. that yeah. it's just tapping in and allowing and trusting and using everything and allowing it to come up through and then to be in connection, to be in rapport with that wonderful person who put trust in us. And the thing is with the trust and the trauma and how I healed and how I'm understanding you more and more about how people do. I mean, the beauty of trauma is it does heal. Mm -hmm. We have to get, we have to get, we have to get back to our heart's desire and, and, and live that. But, and it's not so easy for a lot of people, but the thing about the trauma is that people know. And when I'm with a client, they know. They know if they can trust me or not. Mm. I've been through enough for them to know that. And they can feel that instantaneously. Do you think that's actually kind of a requirement for, for doing the kind of work that you do, that you had a background like you had? Or can people learn it? I think you can learn it, um, but you have to have incredible experience with trauma. You really do. When you mean incredible experience with trauma, like working with people with trauma or your own traumas? Your own. Yeah. And, and nobody's not, nobody's. Nobody's immune from trauma. Nobody immune nobody from trauma. No. And it's to, you know, it's to the degree of which they've experienced. So, you know, and, but it's, it, do you have a passion for it? You know, when I say to people, I have a passion for trauma, they go, are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I have a passion for trauma because it heals. Right. And it helps unhook the story so that you can recreate. Like with me, when I say that I wove, you know, a different story, I, I have to, you know, to where I was and where I could have ended up, the could have, would have, right? Mm -hmm. And where I am and the work I do and the passion that I have for it. None of that would have happened if I didn't go through what I went through and was persistent mm -hmm. and persevered, right? That's, that's the whole thing is the perseverance and yeah. yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So do you think when you say unhook the story, mm -hmm. you have to let go of the perceived or the remembered uh, sequence of events that caused the, the traumas? And is there forgiveness? Is that, does that have to be there as well or acceptance? I mean, what, what has to be there to, to do that? No, I don't use the word forgiveness because in forgiveness, there comes a hierarchy that I'm better than. Uh -huh. So it's acknowledgement and not even accepting. Okay. Because when you acknowledge something, you can keep it in front of you. When you accept, you're bringing it right in somatically. I see. So acknowledging, you can bring that in as well. But if you accept, it's like, okay, I accept it. But when you acknowledge it, you're going through all the levels, right? And, and you know, the logical levels of alignment, right? So I'm those have- I'm not sure what you mean. I mean, I think- Oh, I do, well, I, like in this, in, this, in this environment, with these capabilities and these skills, with these values and these beliefs, I am, right? And mm -hmm. then there's the transmission link, which is who else is involved here? 
So if you just forgive, then you're sitting at this hierarchy of uh, I am and I forgive you down there. <laughs> right? Right. But, it, but if we acknowledge it, then we, we not only own it, but we can shift it. Because, because the, it's a, like I say, with the story, right? Mm-hmm. I, I liken it to I, my book. I'm, I'm just about, well, I'm, you know, as soon as I find a good editor, they can really chop it up. <laughs> and then, you know, publisher. Um, Tell us yeah. about it. What's so the, the book, the book is, is called 100 Sweaters and a Cowboy. 100 Sweaters and a Cowboy? Doesn't that sound intriguing? Great title, yeah. <laughs> so, and it's copywritten for anybody who's listening. So, <laughs> and it's also registered. Um, yeah. So, it's my story. My grandfather was a cowboy. My grandmother knit a hundred sweaters a year for the Red Cross to donate to children who had nothing. My grandfather and grandmother were the ones who convinced my mother to give me up. Mm. And through all I've been through and finding out the truth after I got and decoded people's whatever was going on in my own family, it was a conspiracy because my, well, my grandmother had a daughter. Her daughter couldn't have children. So I moved in as her daughter. I see. For the first Yeah, for the first six years. And then when she was able to have children, I was not needed. Ha. Okay. So that story, that hundred sweaters and a cowboy, yes, it's it's the unhooking, the because I, I love sweaters and my grandmother used to knit a sweater for me every year as well. And I still love sweaters and I love skating, right? So I was able to take that metaphor and go, if you take a sweater and it's true, cause I've done it, cause I knit, you can unhook a thread, mm-hmm. unravel the whole sweater, wow. re-knit it to fit you how you want it to. Well. When you say you can do that, I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about your audience <laughs> and myself. And that's how I did it. Wow. So I unraveled all of that. Wow, that's an amazing metaphor. I love that, actually. Yeah. That's great. And, and it's true. You know, it's it, it's true because that's what I've done. Huh. Yeah. I've un- so, unraveled it and reshaped. So who are you now? Who am I now? Yeah. Well, right now I'm with you. I'm being interviewed. So I'm an interviewed <laughs> or interviewing. But um, what, what is the new sweater? If you were to um, describe, you know, the coaching business that you have and what is your book about to help people to be able to learn from your experiences and do, you know, basically for themselves what you've done for yourself. Really is just what I said before. It's to unravel the stories that we've weaved or woven or that have been woven into our life mm-hmm. through family loyalties. And by being so familiar with our tribe, our family, sometimes we're afraid to step outside that because we might be, well, you know, we might be shunned, right? So, also, too, 
in that we we have hidden loyalty such that we won't surpass uh, another family member. We won't do better than we mm-hmm. won't we won't overcome things because then we might not be approved of right. or included, right? And that's a big thing about exclusion, especially in the world right now with what's going on. I mean, there's so much collective trauma going on. <laughs> it's like really so much, right? So it's it's understanding that you can uncover those hidden loyalties and yeah i mean the majority of of children will not ever go past the level of their father or mother in their success level and they don't know why you know it's like i go 10 steps forward and 55 back i go 100 steps forward and a thousand back i can't seem to get but they're not thinking in terms of their loyalties to their family to their mother or father or to their siblings or whomever, or to even an ancestor that might have not completed a life the way, for example, I I have with my own self, I have moved around a lot. And I was like, this is insane. I was a flight attendant. I've moved. I mean, I've moved so many times. It it sometimes makes people go, wow, (laughs) like dizzy, right? And um, I wondered why that happened. I thought, well, just unstable. <laughs> You're a nut bar girl, <laughs> you know? but I'm not in some ways. Yes. But, um, I had it, I had it unraveled and it goes back to the fact that in my family ancestry in Poland, in Romania, there something called gypsy Roma. Yeah. 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 Well, And here I, you know, it was like, wow, this is, and as soon as I was able to find that out as truth through ancestral checking and and family that did, and then acknowledge it and own it, I go, well, it all makes sense. Right. So there's so many, you know, and and then there's, you know, the biggest thing in, in the work is the biggest trauma that every family has, and they can't say they don't, is that they've had somebody in their family line, whether it's now, you know, grandma, grandpa, great, great, whatever, that have been to war. And war is a big one because mm-hmm. war plays out in generation after generation. It doesn't mean that uh, if I had a son that he would go to war. That doesn't mean that I, I don't have a son, but if he, I did. Um, it just means that there's leftover, a kind of like a hangover, and somebody's going to have to complete it in the family. Somebody's going to have to, and somebody ends up paying it forward, whether they, you know, get into a lot of accidents, whether their marriages disrupt, whatever. There's stuff that gets played out, but it's a, a war shows up a lot. Incomplete. There's right. in, incompletion, right? So, yeah, so unweaving, unhooking those stories and then rewriting your story to fit you. So let me just ask you a question. So if somebody were to, um, you know, go go to colleaguechristie.com, that that is your website, right? Mm -hmm. Colleague Cristanti. Cristanti, sorry, yeah. Yeah, That's okay. Um, That's okay. Thank you. Um, And they'd be looking for family constellation work. Is that basically the, the way you 
Well, know, there's, there's, I know you do everything, but no, <laughs> no, no, not anymore. <laughs> well, you have so, so I use everything. You use everything. I use every all the tools. Family constellation work is basically your yeah systemic trauma, systemic okay. trauma, family constellation, and and you know it's just it's there. It's on the website. It's okay. you know yeah. I mean, there's that, and especially for women, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of women that are walking around very deeply into, but women walking around wounded. It's interesting, you know, Doug, with regards to, for example, women who have had had um, had to. You know, like in Russia, uh, birth control was abortion mm. for many years, right? And some women, you know, have had 13, 16 abortions. Oh, and not with anesthetic. Mm -hmm. So then you've got a husband who doesn't understand why you don't feel intimate. You know? Yeah. So then, you know, and in Russia, you know, there's... 80% of the women are looking for men. And I'm just giving this as an example, how it can affect a woman. Mm -hmm. So in, for, I work with women specifically with, you know, the, the yoni, which is the, you know, the uterus, the cervix and the ovaries and everything. And if there's been trauma there, whether it's been, um, you know, miscarriage, abortion, rough sex, uh, rape, all that, 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 that stays there. And then women go, well, why can't I, I'm not, feeling intimate and, and you're with a man and he can't understand it and she doesn't understand it because it's so deep it's so it's so deep the wounding is so deep right so I, I work with women a lot on that as well I see because it, it's 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 to help men and women because if a woman can return to feeling feminine and intimate it's only going to enhance the relationship right of course yeah of course yeah yeah so this is, oh boy, this is deep stuff. So um, one other question I often ask people who are on this this podcast is, um, what are the, what are the essential skills, or what is an essential skill that you think is necessary to become a, a great coach? And and it sounds like you know in a, in a way, as horrible as it sounds, um, you know, having a horrible childhood, yeah. <laughs> really an essential skill. The essential skills are are first of all to for what purpose? Sorry? For what purpose? For what purpose do you want to be a coach? Ah. So to answer the question of what what are you here for? What is your purpose? Yeah, for what purpose? Like if somebody said to me, I want to be a coach, I go, well, that's great. For what purpose? Okay. Because and I want to help people. All right. And and what are you going to zone in it on? You can't you can't be it all to everybody. Mm -hmm. So zone in and, and what specifically, you know, what area do you want to coach in? Okay, great. So in a, in a sense, find that passion. Yeah. It, oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yes, it's great to be a coach, but master of nothing. Right. Right. right? Jack of all trades, master of nothing. No, I, I have nothing against coaching. Um, and I have nothing against people who want to become coaches. I think it's wonderful because the world needs more and more all the time. Um, but it's the big thing is for what purpose, mm -hmm. what's, the, you know, and what specific area do you want to coach in? And then what skills do you have and what are your values and beliefs around this? And, and, and what education or what training or what other coaches might you need to go to, to, you know, go to, to you and learn the things that you have provided us with, right? 
I'm grateful to be a member of, of yours, you know, and, and to keep learning when I can go in and because there's always up leveling, there's always upgrading. Sure. So it, it's, it's huge to, to stay always up leveling. And yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've been really blessed because I'm with you. Look, I'm, I'm with a master. Well, seriously. And, and the other people that I've trained with in NLP and, you know, touch for health and psyche, Bruce Lipton. I mean, all these people that I've trained with, it's, it's amazing, but you have to have that passion and that desire. And, and I, would, um, I would say, you know, the one, one thing that every, every person you've mentioned is like really good, <laughs> you know, all those people are like top notch trainers, as far as I can tell. Um, pretty, have, pretty damn good for a little girl from the wheat fields of Canada. <laughs> Is that where you're from? Yeah. <laughs> sounds like you're from everywhere. Gypsy also, Roma. <laughs> yeah, exactly, the Roma. The uh, um, other thing that is that you're alluding to without mentioning is that the, the second part of this podcast is is uh, what skills do you need to be successful as a coach, not just a good coach, but in the business of being coaching, how do you how do you set yourself apart and, and uh, create a business for yourself? And in a way, one of the answers to that is often, you know, to find your niche. And I think you're saying exactly the same thing when you're saying, you know, what is your purpose for wanting to be a coach? If it's if you have that answer, then you have the second answer too. Yeah, you need to know your dream client. Mm. Yeah. Your dream client. Yeah, who who do you really want to work with? And who would you really want to spend time on a island with? If you were stuck who would you want to be with? Those, are your, those are your dream clients. Oh. And they pay. Wow, I never thought of it that way. So yeah, who do they, I want to be stuck on an island with? Yeah. Because, wow. you know, there's people I turn down. Because I go, we're not a good fit. I don't want your money. Good for it's you. Not, it's not about that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's nice to have that. That's, that's a... a the part of having a dream client that wants to do the work and then pay you because they've done, they've done the work. That's a dream client. That's a dream. So that's, that's really, you know, I think that, yeah, yeah it, it's a bit of a reframe. It's a bit of a reframe. And, and it took me a while to get to that point where in fact um, I could say no to someone and not go, Oh, my bank account, you know, no, because, if I don't want to spend time with you, I don't want you as a client. It's cool. I like it. Yeah. It just, like it. And, and, and the thing is, another thing that is so huge is you can't do it all. Mm -hmm. We can't be the, the absolute best marketers. We can't be the social media experts. We can't, we can't, I mean, you can, but you're hardly ever going to have time for a client. <laughs> and that comes from experience as well. So how do, you, how do you get around that then? If you're not great at those things, how do you, you know, have a good website? You, how do you have you, well, you source out people. Okay. You source out people and, and, and know what you want and source people out, you know. There's a lot of great people out there that can help coaches. Um, I mean, I, I built my own website. It took me quite a while to do it. You know, the continual upgrade is another thing, right? The social media I do, I know. But I'm coming to a point now where, you know, in September, actually, I'm, I'm going to give some of that to someone who has sourced me out as their dream client. 
mm. and wants to spend time with me and live on an island with me. <laughs> metaphorically so, speaking. Metaphorically speaking. <laughs> and, and, and be more than grateful to pay them. Very cool. It's letting go of that control, needing to yeah. do it all because I can't and, and no one can. And they're fooling themselves if they think they can and that they can actually continue in a way that's going to be healthy. Right. Right. You burn out. Indeed. Now, quick, yeah. quick little story. Um, 20 years ago, I built my f first website. Actually, it was my second website, but I, I, it was my first one that I built. Mm -hmm. um, and I went through an awful lot of effort to do it, and I took classes at this place to do it, and 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 I got it up, and it was up, but it wasn't perfect, and the store didn't work. I couldn't make the the storefront right. thing work. So I called my professor, the guy that taught the class, and said, um, "I need help, and can I hire you to you know take a look at this thing?" He said, "Well, a couple of weeks from now, I, yeah, I'll have a couple, I'll have an hour." So I, I booked that hour and then I, I did all that I could to, to figure this thing out. In the meantime, never got it right. So finally I went to, you know, his, his workshop area, whatever. And um, he took a look at it. He said, Oh, here we go. And he, he fixed it completely in about 20 minutes. And then he made it up better. And then he, for the rest of the hour, cause I booked him for an hour. He just made my whole website vastly better. Wow. <laughs> and thought, what the hell? About yeah doing i've just wasted months exactly where i could have hired him to do it probably in the first place my point and you can't get that time back exactly exactly but it's a good lesson oh for sure yeah yeah, yeah for sure so, so uh, meanwhile your website is kali k cristante mm -hmm. yeah yes yeah. so, well, anyway it'll be, it'll be listed in the yeah the credits and and you designed that I, I remember looking at it thinking god this is um you've got a little video in there of, of waves coming and going back out i just like got lost <laughs> so watch, that's okay it's like <laughs> like i got lost like i woke up this morning in a hotel room and i'm like where am i <laughs> how did i get here that sounds like a um talking head song yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to take my granddaughter. We're in a different city and we're going exploring. Nice. Yeah. A little gypsy romance. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending oh. some time with us here at the. Gosh, it's an honor. I'm, I'm actually honored oh, and humbled. I, I feel so grateful and I, I just love you to bits. I really do. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. I'm honored to have you be here. Yeah. So appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. All right. <laughs> this has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.